Hey, he's here. Trevin. Hi there. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Oh, fantastic. Great to see you. So, Good to be can you just... Can you just tell tell the viewers who are not familiar with you a little bit about your work, please? No, I can't tell a little bit about it. It's too long. <laughs> but although we've, we've got an hour, five years. Oh yeah, okay. Well, why not? Uh, Twenty-five years ago, this February, we held a big meeting in downtown Vancouver, and there were six hundred people, or most of them indigenous, and they had all gone through these death camps they call residential schools. It really kicked off our whole movement that not only exposed genocide in Canada, but really escalated all over the world and even forced Pope Benedict out of office in 2011, 2012, that, in that period. So I thought it was uh, too bad the guy died off before the 10th anniversary of that. You know, we we're planning some nice celebrations. Um, but anyway, it's it's all about first the campaign to expose the murder of children. And that's grown all over the world now. We work with people in many countries fighting this genocide that's now affecting everybody with the COVID police state and all that. So, uh, you know, murderbydecree.com tells a lot of the story. I've written 22 books. I mean, you know, what, what can I say? <laughs> so what, what is the significance of Pope Benedict's death? Well, I mean, in one sense, it's not significant at all. Yet another child killer has died in bed. But in terms of the whole politics of the Vatican, um, it you know, Bergoglio and Ratzinger represented the two factions basically. Ratzinger was the old traditionalist within the Vatican, like the, a lot of the Italian cardinals and that were behind him. Bergoglio, Pope Francis, uh, so called, is the New World Order Pope, he's the one who's been orienting a lot of the money and attention to China. As a matter of fact, uh, you might remember that in July. Bergoglio came over to Canada to do another one of these farcical apologies for mass murder. And um, he disappeared for a few days when he was there. Well, it turns out he was in Prince Rupert on the West Coast, signing an agreement with the Chinese to underwrite their takeover of the North American economy to over a trillion dollars every year. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons that the next pope could very well be a Chinese fellow, uh, one of the Chinese cardinals like John Tong. Uh, who, because it's, it's part of the realignment geopolitically East. And it's one of the reasons Joe Biden went over there and fawned over the Pope a few months ago. It's the, you know, the Western powers are very concerned about this. And, um, and so, you know, it's really the death of Ratzinger means really the death of the old traditional wing. It's no full speed ahead to, uh, you know, integrating the Vatican more and more with China. It's the only country in the world where the government gets to appoint the bishops. It was a deal that worked out. And, um, you know, so, I mean, it's part of that. But, you know, living in Canada over the years, it's nothing surprising when you know anything about the history of, of you know, this church and state collusion behind genocide. Why would the Catholic Pope ally with atheist communist China? Well, don't forget religion and politics. That's just window dressing for the masses. Uh, it's all about power. And when you look at their systems of power, uh, kind of the Confucian Maoist uh, and the Vatican hierarchy, it's really the very same idea. You've got an emperor, godlike figure on top, and everybody else, you know, follows that tyrannical system. Um, it was interesting when uh, no accident that the Vatican was the first power to recognize Hitler diplomatically, because uh, 
continual popes have been saying all the time that 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 fascist system of government is really the Catholic social doctrine made made the law. Um, you know, they believe in in uh, that kind of hierarchical system of thought and government and everything. So they're natural bed partners. Plus, it's all about big money. You know, it's always about the money. Um, and the Vatican, uh, according to uh, a lot of people have done research on where the world's money goes. About 80% of all the the um, deposits in the world end up in either the Vatican Bank or the Bank of International Settlements in Geneva. These are like offshore <laughs> banks that nobody can access. Like the Vatican Bank, you can't monitor it. You don't know who runs it. It's a secret society like the Catholic Church. And, um, and so a lot of that money now is heading to the, the rising power in the world, China. So, you know, I mean, it, it's just, it's nothing new if you know anything about Vatican history and politics, right? What do we know about the character of Pope Francis? As a person? Uh, yeah. He's, uh, like I often say to people, nobody operates at any level of the Catholic Church which, without being part of the crime because of a standing policy known as crimen solicitanus. It's been around for a century. It says that when children are raped or harmed, Everybody is silenced. You don't tell the police or you get excommunicated. Now, that's a criminal conspiracy. It says to every child rapist in the world, you can become a Catholic priest and you'll get away with it. Um, and so with that criminal conspiracy in place, it's no accident that someone like uh, Jorge Bergoglio goes from being a priest to the head of the Jesuits in Argentina in 14 years. And he did that by being very close to the military junta there during the dirty wars in the 70s and 80s, where the military junta killed over 30,000 people. And Bergoglio was the front man. I mean, there's an infamous picture of him arm in arm with General Videla walking down. He was turning a blind eye to the torture and, and killing of his own priests and nuns, being thrown out of helicopters into the Atlantic, you know, like what the, the military junta did. And he turned a blind eye and he went around the world doing what he does now for the Catholic Church, which is make them look good. And it's interesting, the present queen of the Netherlands, her name is Maxima Zuregieta. She's Argentine too. And according to uh, Ella Sturr, who's a Dutch independent journalist, she discovered that, that Queen Maxima has been paying the present Pope Bergoglio 15,000 euros a month for the last eight years. You know, is this bribe money, hush money, what is this? We know her dad was in the military junta with Bergoglio. We know that children were being trafficked and disappeared out of the uh, cathedral when he was archbishop there. Um, he, it's like in Spain under Franco, they had a system where they would traffic children and political prisoners. If you're thrown in jail, they would take your children, put them into loyal fascist or Catholic homes and raise them. I've met with some of these people in Barcelona a few years ago. Um, they don't know who their families are because they, the Catholic Church made billions of dollars child trafficking. And Bergoglio was in the, in the heart of this stuff. And um, he also has a very sordid relationship, like every Pope and Cardinal for a long time, um, with this thing called the Ninth Circle, which uh, is a child sacrificial cult we've talked about before. Uh, eyewitnesses have been at these ceremonies. It's um, uh, the Jesuits invented it back in the 1600s as a way to control, you know, heads of state. You, you, uh, you get them like we see in the native world all the time, you get, you go after somebody's children and you can control them. Um, so it, it, you don't live long as a Pope unless you're part of these rituals. And we saw that in, um, 
the guy who lasted 30 days in office in 1978, John Paul I, uh, he made the mistake of maybe taking the Bible too seriously, you know. Um, he started an investigation into the Vatican Bank. Uh, he was dead in 29 days, you know. Everyone who was connected to him was dead within a year. All the magistrates investigating it got their cars blown up. So, I mean, it's the old sordid Vatican politics. And Bergoglio has survived by being just as blood-soaked as Ratzinger was. So, I mean, um, the point is, though, that it's never about the morality of something. There's no place for morality or human rights in that system. It's all about power and where, where it, you know, who it rests with, right? So is the pedophile faction in complete control of the Catholic Church? Well, the Catholic Church is by by nature. It's like saying we're the good Nazis. Well, I mean, mm. you know, you can't be in the hierarchy without supporting that policy of institutionalized destruction of children. And, um, you know, it's it, it's right implicit in the mindset. You know, God sacrificed his firstborn, his only child for the good of all of us. Uh, the, the attitude in the Catholic Mass or the Ninth Circle is that the blood of the innocent will redeem you. And that's exactly what happens in, in, from Tos Nehenhaus and other eyewitnesses who were raised in the, this intergenerational cult, the Ninth Circle. They say that's what happens. They take children and they torture them horribly, uh, rape them, and then not only kill them, drink their blood and cannibalize them. Um, that's, and if you don't take part in that, you're killed instantly. I mean, and she saw this happening in Carnarvon Castle where, uh, Prince Philip now, not, uh, sorry, Prince Charles, now King Charles, uh, you know, was coronated. Uh, th there's a link between him and, and the disappearance of children in Canada as well, which I can get into, but it, you know, at that level, it, it operates with impunity and, um, you know, the, the, the old dilemma was um, it, it's not so much people don't know what's going on. It's who wants to go up against these people, right? So as judicial systems around the world have taken crimes against kids more seriously, how has the Catholic Church adopted its legal strategies to circumvent this? Oh, well, I mean, they really, in a way, don't have to worry about legal because I mean, again, the law is is just it's like the notion of human rights or international law. It's a nice idea, but it's never enforced. Um, I know this when I was a United Church minister and I got tossed out and they were able to destroy my family, take my kids from me, blacklist me, do everything totally legally, uh, even though everything I was talking about in the residential schools were subsequently proven. They're even admitting to know. Even Bergoglio, when he was in Canada in the summer, said, yes, it was genocide. Almost in a mocking way, like, yeah, we did it. What are you going to do about it? We're not accountable, right? Um, it, it's a way people in power psychologically control people. They kill and get away with it to say, look what we can do. And, um, you know, people are outraged simply because they don't know the nature of what they're what, what you're dealing with. So um, once you know, then you realize, well, you've got to fight this on a higher level, on a different level. And uh, I'll give you an example of how we've done that. When we started occupying churches on Sunday morning, within two weeks, the government in Canada buckled and started talking about a truth commission into the residential schools. They started talking apologies. They were, you know, it's like Sun Tzu says in The Art of War, you hit the enemy when they're weak. And the Catholic Church is the major partner of China in this whole global 
corporatocracy being set up. You hit the Catholic churches where they're vulnerable on Sunday morning in the collection plate. And we find time and again that, that it sends reverberations everywhere. So, I mean, people have got to think in those terms and not, you know, mere protest or just sharing information. But, you know, these are children's lives constantly uh, at, at stake and, and children dying routinely. So, I mean, it, that if that doesn't activate people, I don't know what will, right? So, you know, 100 years ago, you didn't see like these headlines, uh, pedophile priests arrested like you see now. Are you saying that the ones that are arrested now are just sacrificial lambs? Right. I mean, you know, it's it's funny because all they're doing is enforcing Vatican policy when they hide up high child rape. But they, occasionally you need to throw one of them to the crowd to make it seem like, you know, we're being accountable. Uh, more camouflage to make them black seem white or white seem black. Um, it's, you know, just basic public relations gestures. But what's interesting is when they do that, then people are willing to talk. And we find that a lot of our sources, people who have provided us inside information are people who are disenchanted, who are victimized, like me, ex-clergy, who are driven out for having the audacity to say, you know, what's what's our dirty laundry behind that door? You know, what are these all these children who have gone missing? Um, so, you know, they shoot, the, shoot themselves in the foot all the time because... Uh, you know, they're a, a big institution. And the bigger you get, the more unwieldy and inflexible and unstable you become. And that's an advantage when you take on these big institutions. Right? But these headlines, though, about the pedophile priest, even though they're sacrificial lambs, isn't it causing a drop off in church attendees? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in, uh, last time I was in Dublin, uh, a woman, a friend of mine, Mary Kelly, she's a great old woman. She, <laughs> she, she walked. She and I entered Pro Cathedral on a Sunday morning. Now, this is Dublin. This is supposed to be the heart of Catholic country, right? Uh, seats 500 people. We counted 32 in church on a mass. Wow. And Mary then went up and seized the pulpit and started talking to people about the policies of church. And when the priest came up, he, she decked him, just knocked him out. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, she'd been raped as a child, not only raped, but see, they were used in drug testing experiments. They would take kids from Catholic orphanages and that, like they did the Native people in Canada and uh, Pfizer and all these other drug companies that are pushing the shot now on everybody. They were using children routinely as drug testing guinea pigs and they would die. There's a big mass grave in Chum, Ireland, in, uh, in Galway, where they found 800 skeletons of babies, a lot of them missing their skulls. Classic, you know, um, satanic cult ritual evidence right um but guess who did the investigation the catholic church and the government step in and, oh. and like in canada do a whitewash hey well i guess we'll investigate ourselves nope didn't find anything <laughs> you know you got a question from one of the viewers here and if any of the other viewers have got a question just put it in the chat and we'll pull them out so ray j has asked has there been any improvement in the canadian situation now that the mainstream have been talking about it Improvement, yeah, in the sense that people on the ground are more willing to talk about things. They feel safer. It's like for many years, we were in our movement, we were the only ones talking about mass graves and genocide. Now everybody's doing it. So, yeah, it, it uh, co-ops the issue in one sense. Um, but a lot of the eyewitnesses who are still alive are more free to talk. And then we say, okay, look, here's part of the story you didn't know about. Um, but there's this huge wall of resistance every time we try to get you know our book like with all the evidence of genocide 
We try to get that in the school curriculum routinely, and it's constantly blocked. The teachers want it. They want to teach the real history. But the school board, the government steps in. You know, they get calls from the church lawyers, threatening lawsuits. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's a way to shut the whole thing down. So it's a continual David and Goliath battle swimming against the stream on this stuff because it's still going on. You know, the, 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 all these Native families that go missing all through British Columbia and Alberta, because China, if, if you, cha- you know, you've probably heard of the Highway of Tears, Sean, where a lot of the Native women go missing mm. uh, in, in northern British Columbia. You trace that highway where all the disappearances happen, and it's right where the liquid natural gas sites are. Because China's switching from coal to liquid natural gas, and they send in people and just wipe out all the local natives. You know, the British used to do it. Now the Chinese are doing it, right? Um, so, I mean, it's... It's part of that whole um, ongoing genocide that means that you can't know about the history because then you know what's going on now. So you got to put out a fake narrative all the time. Yeah, there were a few children harmed, but now we've apologized and we all want to heal and reconcile and make better. All this drug they keep pumping into people. And on the ground, you see the opposite all the time. Um, so, I mean, it's just a matter of seeing what is and not what you're being fed all the time, right? Just to add to that then, because that might sound a bit much for some people. I was speaking to someone that I knew from childhood who ended up working for a big oil company. And he said they just went around the world and the oil company, you know, if they find an area that they want, they just wipe out the locals, take right. it over just like that. So it's this stuff is, is going on, isn't it, worldwide? Well, I can give you a recent example of that, Sean. Um, if people go to murderbydecree.com, go to ITCCS updates. And if you look over the, the fall, months you'll see a report it happened last september uh in saskatchewan a a big company called rio tinto it's a big mining company as a matter of fact the queen of england had major investments in it her personal wealth increased 15 fold while she was on the throne because of her investments in depleted uranium rio tinto so rio tinto discovers diamonds beneath the uh area near where i grew up it's in eastern saskatchewan on the prairies and it's a um where the, it was called the James Smith Cree Reservation. These are Cree people. And the local chief said, no, uh-uh, we're not going to allow strip mining in this area. What happens two weeks later is Chief Wally Burns of the Cree Nation, who's opposing this, in the middle of the night, six of his 10 relatives are murdered and four other people. And they, the Mounties show up and conveniently find their Lee Harvey Oswald scapegoat, this guy called... Um, uh, I remember uh, Miles Dempsey. He was a wandering kid. They claim he took a knife and in the middle of the night broke into 10 different houses and killed 10 people single-handedly. Now then, then uh, Miles Sanderson conveniently dies the next day in RCMP custody after killing the only other eyewitness, apparently. So these guys, it was an obvious kind of staged killing. And sure enough, Wally Burns backs off and the diamond mining goes ahead. But then guess who shows up? The Prime Minister of Canada, Mary Simon, the Governor General, Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who's already indicted for covering up residential school mass murder. They all show up and do this song and dance. Oh, it's horrible. Here's $62.5 million, the shash money to the local band council to allow the $2 million diamond mining to go ahead. Meanwhile, the, the coroner is a former Saskatoon police chief who covered up the murder of native people when they were taken out in the middle of the night and uh, dumped. It's called a starlight tour. 
where you take a native person in the middle of the, uh, the, the prairies in the winter and just dump them there without their shoes, they're dead. And he was convicted, uh, this Clive Weekell. Well, there he is. He's the coroner conducting the investigation into the murder of these 10 Crees. So this happened this, this fall. And that's the, the regular way it is in Canada. And because Canada and Australia, they're right on the front line of what China needs. Geopolitically, it's their back door into, into America. Australia, because of all the resources and kind of the, the, the geography. So Australia and Canadian um, Indigenous people are targeted this way constantly, uh, as are anybody like us who tries to take it on. Those are kind of the front lines of the Chinese expansion right now. So next question from a viewer is, how much does Trudeau know? Is he just a foot soldier at the lower level? No, he's very implicated. Uh, and who's trained that way? He's a classical Manchurian candidate politician. I know this because friends of mine worked in a place called the Hollywood Hospital where all three of the Trudeau children were brought. It's in uh, New Westminster in the suburbs of Vancouver. His mother, Margaret Sinclair, was there as a child getting electric shock treatment and all this stuff. Then Justin ends up there with his brothers. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the that scenario, like there's all this evidence about it. We've even interviewed the nurses who used to, you know, see the kids being brought in routinely. Um, and, but no, his personal role in this is blatant. Um, you know, he, for example, he, the, his first act when he was elected prime minister was to bring in what's called the Foreign Investment Protection Act, which allows China to not only buy up the whole country, move, removes all limits on Chinese investment, but they can even station their troops on Canadian soil to protect their, their, their businesses. Uh, hello, isn't that an act of treason? <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's very blatant all the time. And um, I don't know if you remember this big truckers convoy, the big protest to kind of shut down Canada for a while, because there's this one highway that links east and west. They shut it all down. Trudeau um, takes off for the west coast. He vanishes. They show up in Ottawa and Trudeau vanishes off to the west coast, obviously to check in with his Chinese handlers. Right. <laughs> but then he comes back and he invokes for the first time in Canadian history, the Emergency Powers Act to shut down anybody who's who's involved in this convoy. They lock up the truck convoy leaders for months without charges, everything. It's this typical thing. So, yeah, he's he's China's boy big time. Right. You know, you previously brought us up to speed on the disappearance of the kids and the role of the Queen and Prince Philip in that. That was some of the very early stuff that we did that went viral on YouTube that they banned us from uh, having there. But earlier on in this conversation, you mentioned the role of King Charles. I didn't know about what what's his uh, involvement. Oh, Charlie boy. Well, you know, he has this this appearance of somebody who's kind of stupid and innocent, but in fact, um, you know, he. We all know about his association with Jimmy Savile and some of that blatant stuff, right? But um, if you recall, on October 10th, 1964, 10 children were abducted by Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip out of the Kamloops Residential School, this Catholic-run school, and um, they vanished. The one eyewitness, William Coombs, is killed in St. Paul's Hospital by arsenic poisoning, according to the nurse, Chloe Kirker, who examined him, right? Um, but... It turns out that not all of those children were killed. Two of them were taken back to Carnarvon Castle and ritually killed there as part of the Nine Circle ceremonies, October 30th, 1964, at Sawain. Charles was present. We also understand from sources in the police that when William Coombs was killed 
it came as a direct result of an order from Westminster. There was a kill order out on William Coombs because he was the one eyewitness to see this. So, um, you know, his Charles's implication in this, you know, is again, as a shareholder in Rio Tinto, he was undoubtedly connected to that massacre of the Cree Indians in Saskatchewan recently. So, I mean, it just goes with the job. Um, you know, I mean, but he's already been, he had papers served on him, you know, that there's a, in England, there's a, a group of people in, you know, investigating this, but I mean, it's, it's the same old dilemma when the killers are in charge, people feel there's just so much you can do, right? You certainly can't do it in their system, but you've got to create these other pressures, like not only our, our direct actions, but our common law courts, the things that forced Ratzinger out of office in 2013, right? Do you know anything about Camilla and her role in any of this? No, not personally, and not things I've seen. But I mean, <laughs> just you know, I wouldn't put anything past any of these people that were in the world they operate in, right? So, with Pope Benedict's death, then is there a power struggle in the Vatican? I think there's less of one now because, like I said, um, the traditionalists are on the decline. One of the things that Bergoglio, Pope Francis did, and people were scratching their head over this saying, um, as he was on the plane back from Canada in the summer after signing that deal to finance the Chinese takeover of the resources and infrastructure all over North America, he makes this kind of offhand comment to reporters, oh yes, it was genocide. Um, and so, you know, what that does is, what do you do when you could be threatened with lawsuits? Well, you bring in all your assets and you hide them. And so right after he got back to Rome, he announced that he was going to centralize all money in the Vatican Bank. He's calling in all loans. He's shutting down societies like um, the Knights of Columbus and Opus Dei, who have a lot of money. He's saying, okay, you're, that's all in the Vatican Bank now. Because, of course, China's saying, hey, wait a minute, we want a $1 trillion guaranteed now. Uh, so it was almost a provocation to, to give him the justification to take all the money, gather it all in and ensure his, his buddies in Beijing that it's, it's coming through to them. So all of these things are calculated. And um, so, yeah, he wouldn't have been able to do that if there was a major power struggle going on. I think the Ratzinger wing are on the decline. Um, Bergoglio is probably going to step down soon um, because there's too much shit on him. And it's like what happened to Ratzinger. You've got to get rid of the guy with too much on him and then bring in the new smiley face. Um, it could be a, an African if I were them, I'd do something politically correct, like have an African on the throne now. Um, but more likely, it could be, like I say, this Cardinal John Tong, who is, there's two cardinals in China. One is a dissident, uh, Joe Joseph Zen, and he's criticizing the human rights record of China and all that. But this John Tong is part of the state church, the state Catholic church, the official church that the Vatican endorses. And if there's going to be anybody who could be Pope politically, that would probably be smartest to have a Chinese Pope in now to smooth the whole, you know, process we're talking about. Some of the viewers are wondering, what is Opus Dei? Uh, it means in Latin, the work of God. And but every time they say God, you should read it as Satan. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's an uh, several centuries old secret society, kind of an ultra conservative faction you know in the catholic church they are very linked to dictatorships all over the world opus da when they're like in argentina when they were murdering people en masse opus da was one of the advisors to the government and archbishop bergoglio um 
and so it's it's got his hands in a lot of pies it's they were involved in the murder of john paul the first um in in you know they're part they're very much behind what's called the uh, holy alliance which is the vatican assassination and espionage bureau um they, they were set up in in the 1500s to kill queen elizabeth the first uh you know that that was her uh their their claim to infamy but um you know they've been killing people all all down the centuries you know this this thing so yeah they're they're right in there with all the dirt right so how does this prolonged war in ukraine fit into all of this well think if you're the chinese and you're an expert in the art of war what do you want to do there's russia it's like orwell predicted you got oceania eurasia east asia the three power blocks and uh you get oceania and eurasia to fight each other so you know the, this whole thing they're funding the political parties in america the democrats and the republicans to destroy each other this internecine civil war in america between blue and red parties are distracting keeping america focused and weak and divided and occupied they just sent 44 billion dollars to the ukrainians uh to keep that russia and america occupied well china picks up the marbles so i mean and the vatican so it's classic sun tzu i mean and you know it's um someone once joked that the americans lost in vietnam because they were reading von clausewitz uh and the vietnamese were reading sun tzu about how you outmaneuver a bigger opponent you get the opponent to fight each other and destroy itself rather than fight it directly so yeah people say are the chinese going to occupy north america they're the people's liberation army and no they don't have to they they own the debt in america half the debt now they they own more and more of the economy and the infrastructure um you know transportation the whole bit so it's that kind of behind the scenes takeover that's going on right so who owns the military industrial complex that's profiting from all this war well it's kind of uh it, it's not so much about the countries anymore because countries are are like uh, a vestigial organ they're they're about to fall off they're just the appearance for to keep the masses divided like like religion right if there's power groups within the corporatocracy right and a, a lot of it now is channeled through uh through china and did you know that two-thirds of all of the economic growth in the world happens into in the indo-pacific region wow like the pacific india mid-east southeast asia the philippines china that's where it's all happening um you know so i mean um look there for the money follow the money always and it'll take you there which is chinese sphere of influence there a lot of the you know i mentioned the trillion dollars that the vatican is is underwriting them every year a lot of that goes into what you can look it up it's called the road and belt initiative china's buying up the road systems and railways and ports all over the world and they're channeling all of it into asia just like the British did, you know, just like the Americans did. Now it's China's turn. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, that's kind of the general picture, right? The Va uh, Rebecca is asking about the Vatican's investments in the military industrial complex. Huge. Oh, it's huge. They own the biggest small arms company in the world, Beretta Limited. A lot of them, like the Anglican Church in England, big investors in, in the uh, landmine industry. Um they are major shareholders in big pharma over nine and a half billion in pfizer alone um but look it up i mean th here's the thing though it's hard to do research because the vatican bank is a secret closed society you can never find out what they're doing but you can hear echoes of it like in america 
it's the only country in the world where the the church has to disclose a certain amount of its its financial dealings and you get glimpses of this um you know in in some of the american and in the economist and that they'll make an occasional reference to this but it's really hard to track down unless you know people on the inside and you know if you create enough pressure and awareness those people start coming out with that information so you talk about these Orwellian three big powers. Will that spread to Taiwan? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's history. I mean, it's that China's engulfing the whole region. Um, so, I mean, it's it's where America was after World War II. Britain's going down. America was going up. Now America's going down. China's going up. In another 50 years, you'll see the world economy pretty much owned by China. Um militarily as well so i mean it's the, the the one of the frightening things about that is within the eastern world there's no tradition at all of common law of the idea that people have the right to be critical of power that you know that you can find the truth through question and answer the socratic method no the confucian system of thought and education is you have the teacher they tell you the truth you regurgitate it everybody's in line with the emperor and so as that ideology spreads all over the world, you're going to see it's a perfect medium for the corporatocracy because that's what the Vatican and the corporations want. That's what's behind the whole COVID microchipping program is to make everybody components of that big machine, literally. And so that's why people have to bury their differences, especially in America. They got to forget about these contrived differences and find a new basis of unity to resist this bigger enemy that's facing all of us now, right? She said China's absorbing the whole region. Does that mean that there could be a proxy war in Taiwan then against the, you know, with these three big Orwellian players? Well, you know, you, you notice the Americans have talked, made noises about they've done maneuvers in the South China Sea and everything, uh, but they always back off. Um, you see, America's too divided. Like they're already engaged in back in the Ukrainians. Um, they're not going to get involved in a shooting war in, in Asia. They're just spread too thin. Um, and their debt is enormous. And like I say, all the Chinese have to do is call in the debt and the American economy goes bloop. So they've got them by the knackers and Beijing has Washington, you know, where they so want. Hear, so you, there's these reports about the neo-Nazis in Ukraine. What are your thoughts on them? Oh, well, the Ukraine has a long tradition of, of that, you know, um, not just hating Jews, but like in, in World War II, the Ukrainian SS were the more, more notorious of the SS groups, right? Uh, something conveniently swabbed out of the group memory now. Um, I remember in Canada, after World War II, more Nazis were brought in than any country in the world, and they even shipped in an entire Ukrainian SS division. Um, you know, uh, a lot of these people went to work in the MK Ultra program and the Indian hospitals, I remember a native woman I spoke to who was sterilized. Um, she looked at the doctor's arm and right there where there was that SS tattoo. Um, lots of, we've documented in the Indian hospitals, these guys doing pain threshold experiments where you torture children to death, like what they were doing in Auschwitz, Treblinka. Uh, but again, you know, it, it's like, that's a long tradition in the Ukraine. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it's just history playing itself out again, right? Do you think Princess Diana publicly speaking out about the landmine industry played a role in her death? Very likely. 
I mean, because again, it's always a question of, are you, how big are the toes you're stepping on? And do they have to set an example, right? Like people were saying, well, they'd never kill Martin Luther King. He's too well known. Well, of course they will, if they want to set an example or like her. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, that's all probable then quite possible. But the, the question then is don't let it scare you because that's the purpose of it killing in plain sight is to get everybody frightened and running away. Um, you know, so. What can you tell us about the recent massacre of Cree Indians in Canada? Well, I, I mentioned it earlier in the show. Um, it was at the behest of, we believe the Royal family who are major shareholders in Rio Tinto with the, with the open collusion of like, why would the governor general, the prime minister and the head of the Anglican church all fly out to this little Cree reservation and Trudeau hands him 62 and a half million dollars after the main chief who was opposing the Rio Tinto, six of his relatives are killed in the middle of the night. I mean, it's a clear warning to people. And they, this happens routinely in the native world. Every few months, something will happen like a Maori will come to the door and just shoot a native woman through the heart, right? A killing. And then he'll say, oh, she was holding a knife and he won't even be uh, reprimanded, right? I mean, they routinely do this at a targeted population to get everybody terrified. Like why they grab native children and traffic them all the time. Keeps everybody cowed and they don't challenge the chief when they're signing away the land and the resources to China, right? It's just state terrorism and church terrorism and it, it works routinely, right? We've got a question from a guest. What do you think will happen to Ghislaine Maxwell after the 23rd of January deadline? That's from Matthew Steeples. I don't know. You'll have to tell me. I'm not up to date on that issue at all. I'm kind of... I don't I'm not. I've written books about it. I don't know what the 23rd of uh, January deadline is, Matthew. On another note, that we're talking about deadlines, it's, it's triggered something in me. So we recently had a podcast guest. He flew over from America. I won't say his name. And he ended up doing 40 years in California prison for murder. And he talked about this priest in LA when he was a kid that would give the, offer the kids sneakers to fillet them. And all the kids, you know, didn't properly understand the the, the um, insidious uh, nature of what was happening at the time because they were so young. Anyway, this this priest, um, there's massive settlements being made now um, pertaining to these cases. But the guy who flew over. He said that there's like a deadline now whereby you have to sue the church by this point. I think it was I think it was the end of of last year. And then you, you can no longer sue them anymore for these pedophile yeah. cases. Is that, is that the case? Oh, that's, that's the norm. Statute of limitations are continually lowered. Like normally, there's no statute of limitation on murder. If you killed somebody 50 years ago, you can still be tried for it and your, your accomplices. But when the, the shit began to come out about all of these mass murders and trafficking and institutionalized rape uh, of children, um, the church steps in and through their political flunkies, pass legislation that says, oh, no, you have to have done it by a certain date. You only have three months to report it. Uh, all these restrictions, that's how about 90% of the survivors of the residential schools were excluded from legal action. Just arbitrary things to help the killers get away with it. So it's totally unlawful. But, um, you know, <laughs> money talks, the rest walk. I mean, you know, that, that with trillions of dollars at their disposal, the Vatican can pretty much do anything they want. So it's the same old game, right? So you seem to be in good health and spirits, Kevin. 
previously, you, you seemed a bit shook up because there's been attempts on your life and stuff like that. Has that died down now? It goes in waves. Um, you know, it's, it's always, um, at this stage, you don't want to create martyrs. By and large, they don't want to create martyrs because then people say, hey, wait a minute, maybe he was onto something, right? Um, I've had to be a lot more careful in the way I operate. I normally aren't. Um, but don't forget, like somebody like me, they did everything short of killing me. And uh, it's not good to kill somebody. You've got to create a, a, a fear around them and a discrediting, which is far more effective than, than murdering somebody. And that worked very well for many years in Canada. People were literally afraid to even mention my name or to talk about this stuff. Uh, and, the, and the shadow now is equal. You know, you, you rent a hall and it's shut down. You, in, you invite people, they start funding you, then they're shut down. I mean, it, it's, it's like automatic now, right? But um, that doesn't ever stop the change from happening. And the impact, you know, getting that, that out there all the time. So you just keep at it. I mean, you know, we're all going to die. The question is, how do you want to die? <laughs> you want to die fighting to the end or do you want to crawl away and get a few more moments of slave life i mean that's not <laughs> you know forget it <laughs> so how are your campaigns in canada and around the world going right now well you know it's backward and forward all the time like um there's people setting up on the model of our republican canada uh people now in nine countries we have regular zoom calls they're trying the same thing all over Europe and Australia and South America, they're, they're, they're taking the side that the people can govern themselves. They can set up our own courts or our own assemblies, pass our own laws, like the one we did in Canada in 2020 that nullified all COVID measures. And I tell you, when I show my citizenship card to cops, they always back off and say, look, I'm not under Crown jurisdiction. You know, we've nullified Crown authority perfectly within our right to do that. Our local assembly passed a law and I'm bound by that law. You, you got to think outside and act outside their system. And then it starts crumbling because we, we, it's like a balloon. Once you start taking your energy out of it, it just deflates. So, you know, we don't fight them. We, we say to the cops, come over to us, take an oath, nullify your oath to the crown and take it to the people and their constitution and our republic. And we find that's happening in small ways, but like anything real, it's happening from the grassroots. And um, so that's been really successful. The repression happens as a result in response especially in the west coast every time we try to build an assembly republic assembly in the west coast it gets taken out quick as china does not want interference in the in british columbia and alberta where their main thrust is right now to grab a lot of the resources um but i mean with in february we're doing all sorts of things because it's it's february 9th is the 25th anniversary of us beginning the campaign about genocide in residential schools um, February 26th is the anniversary of the murder of William Coombs in St. Paul's Hospital. So last, last year, we took a coffin with William's name on it, walked all over downtown Vancouver, stopped traffic, went into the hospital with a bullhorn and talked about how you're murdering people in this hospital. It was great. Cops didn't know what to do. <laughs> so when you, when you put it in their face like that, like on churches on Sunday morning, they, they don't know what to do because you've gotten in behind their flank. And so we always have to think of ways of doing that. So having great fun doing it, right? It's the best way to uh, spend my 67th birthday on February 10th. So what, what's your next book going to be about, Kevin? I just wrote it. It's called uh, A Tale of Two Brothers. It's a, a semi-fictionalized account of my brother Bill and I because we're kind of like opposite, very opposite. He's this retired, get this, he's a retired big pharma CEO um, who's like, 
always been disdain, disdainful of me in that. And the, the, it's, a, it's a story about our, our life together, and, uh, but how we represent these two kind of strains in Canada. Um, you know, and uh, his whole history, of, he was involved in, in, in uh, a water company. He, he helped bring China into the province 20 years ago. Uh, buying off politicians and secret deals, uh, you know, to get exclusive rights to export bulk water. I talk about that in the book, fairly not so veiled reference to the real company and, and him. So I thought, you know, within every family, you know, you got to at some point face your dirty laundry. And I figured, why not, right? So is he completely open with you then about the corruption that he's helped implement? It's funny because it's like in the church, when they think they've got you, they admit everything because they figure what's this guy going to do with it? You know, uh, what can he do to stop us? They think they're God. So Bill used to disclose this stuff, uh, stuff on my, my late mother who was involved in it too. They talked about the inside uh, uh, deals going on. The prime minister Mulroney, ben, prime minister, uh, premier Vanderzam in British Columbia all had shares in Western Canada water. They gave him exclusivity rights in return. Uh, there was the mafia, the De Bartolo family that bought into the, uh, the, the company and the the woman who testified that she took ten thousand dollars in a brown paper bag to the environment minister on behalf of the company she dies the next day and, and, and or the next week and can't testify in court and all the judges it's like the the killing of the pope in 78 all the <laughs> judges start dying so water war crimes look it up it's a, a water wars crimes it's a website that documents some of this but i thought hell now's the time to write a you know write a family account of this shit right we've only got a few minutes left if people are watching get, get your questions in now this is your last chance to get your questions in so we started this broadcast today kevin um four hours ago talking about klaus schwab and the world economic forum have you got thoughts on them no i i mean i wish i knew more about like i, I don't spend a lot of time looking at the official institutions and in that i i'm too busy on the ground working with people, but it the general picture is as I've described the the the, the ascendancy of China uh, and the subordination of a lot of other interests to that geopolitical kind of power in the world. So um, I think that that's what people have to keep their eyes on. It's like I like to quote Napoleon. He said, "In battle, a bad general sees too many things. I always keep my eyes on the main body of the enemy." So you have to ask, who is the main enemy? Don't let go of your attention on that, right? So because of the joint com com communist history, do you think China and Russia would team up against America? It's not about ideology. There's no such thing as communism, capitalism. It's all fluff. Uh, and and they, Russia is doing China's job right now by fighting in Ukraine. And maybe there'll be a payoff. Maybe he wants Putin to come down. Maybe it would help China. Who knows, really? Uh, it's flexible. But, um, you know, they hold the marbles, by and large. And if America was smart, they'd line up with Russia against China, right? Um, but, I mean, again, they're fact too factionalized and divided in their own country to, to, to bring the will to bear to do that. But So, Re Re Rebecca wants to know, do Kevin's books list sources, as I would really like to start researching these subjects? Oh, yeah. I mean, the best... In general, murderbydecree.com, it's up online. Uh, all of my books you can see there. And go to Amazon, put my name in, Kevin Annett, and you'll see all of them, including the recent one, Tale of Two Brothers. But um, you can also write to me um, 
angelfire101 at protonmail.com. And I can connect you to a lot of sources, uh, not just internet, but even more real about this stuff. Jake wants to know whether China is facing a crisis in population. I'm not sure. Um, that's a good, I mean, I don't think it's about numbers ever. It's about, you know, the economy and how much dissent there is within China, how controllable it is. I mean, all of that, right? What are your hopes for 2023? Well, uh, the hopes of all of us to have a world free. I think we're in a civil war between free humanity and the corporatocracy. And I hope people get together and overthrow the bastards. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just want to say in closing, this is a special year for me because it's 50 years since I was first condemned in the public media when I was 17 years old. I helped organize a high school, a union among high school students and a bill of rights for young people. And I was denounced, me and my two friends who headed this union, were denounced in the columns of the Vancouver Sun and Province newspapers as anarchists who wanted to bring them to school. I had death threats. There were Mounties coming to our door. I said, this is a precursor to the way my life turned out. But I thought, hell, one thing I learned out of that, Sean, is that the powers that be are mostly smoke and mirrors. They like to scare you. But when push comes to shove, they don't have a hell of a lot of power except what we give them. So uh, I'd like to remember, honor this here, 50 years still at it. Thank you. Just, just remind the people where they can find you online and stuff. Murderbydecree.com, uh, Republic of Kanata, K-A-N-A-T-A, RepublicofCanada.org. Angelfire101 at ProtonMail.com is that. And then Sundays we do our blog show at, um, I believe it's 11 p.m. Greenwich time, 6 p.m. Eastern time, at BBSRadio.com slash Here We Stand. Thank you, Kevin. You're always on fire. We salute your great work. You have a great rest of your day over there. Cheers. You too, brother. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, brother. Thank you. All right. What a fantastic guest, Kevin. He just never disappoints, does he?